Library podcasts are brought to you by the Seattle Public Library and Foundation. To learn more about our programs and podcasts, visit our website at www.spl.org. To learn how you can help the Library Foundation support the Seattle Public Library, go to foundation.spl.org. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our viewing tonight of the documentary Beyond the Wall. Seattle Public Library, in partnership with Pioneer Human Services, is pleased to bring this film to the Seattle area and host this evening to raise awareness around the barriers facing those re-entering society from incarceration today. One of the library's focal points in our community engagement this year has been taking a closer look at the issues surrounding re-entry. Uh, we've been meeting and hearing from a lot of individuals and agencies in this area that work in this field and are dedicated to helping our men and women who are returning from incarceration into the community. Our goal has been seeking ways that we can possibly better align our library services and programs with this kind of critical effort for our community. During the early phase of this work, we were fortunate to meet with Pioneer Human Services, and the idea for this evening program was born. We'll be starting tonight by viewing the film, followed by a moderated panel discussion, and hopefully with time afterward for community comments or questions. Before I turn the evening over to the moderator, I also want to take a special moment and thank our very special Seattle Public Library Foundation for making this and other free library programs available to you all. Their support enriches our community and our understanding of the world. Tonight, joining us, uh, we're pleased to have as our moderator, Steve Mullen, president of the Washington Roundtable, a nonprofit organization comprised of senior executives of major private sector employers in Washington State. He also happens to serve on the board at Pioneer Human Services. Prior to joining the Roundtable, Steve was the founding executive director of Partnership for Learning. He's also worked for several local public affairs consulting firms as a U.S. Senate staff member in Washington, D.C., and as a legislative staff member in Olympia. He's a graduate of Middlebury College and the University of Washington's Evans School of Public Affairs. In addition to serving on the board for Pioneer Human Services, he's on the board for the Washington State Charter Schools Association, the Washington Health Alliance, and the Washington Research Council, and the Western Governors University of Washington Advisory Board. Please join me in welcoming Steve Mullen. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. It's really great to see such a terrific turnout for this event. I'd like to begin by thanking uh, the library and the Library Foundation for providing this opportunity to discuss an issue near and dear to the hearts of the staff, the board, and the, and the um, clients of Pioneer Human Services. For those of you who don't know, Pioneer is a nonprofit here in the state with a mission of helping incarcerated, previously incarcerated individuals uh, transition successfully and go on to lead fulfilling, happy, productive lives. Unfortunately, there are nearly 700,000 people uh, estimated to be released from state and federal prisons every year in the United States a population equal to that of Seattle or Boston. That number does not include the hundreds of thousands more who are released from local jails. 
In Washington State, around 8,000 per year are re-entering society. When individuals have a successful reintegration back into the community, we all win. Unfortunately, many are not prepared to navigate the barriers confronting them as they re-enter society, which is why recidivism is most common and the highest rates in the first year after being released. Beyond the Wall follows five formerly incarcerated men who are attempting to rebuild their lives on the outside with little support from our criminal justice system. Their stories resolve around one central figure, a former prisoner named Louis Diaz, who works with each man to help him maintain his sobriety and his freedom. I hope the film will give you some insight into the struggles individuals face as they leave the prison system and how that impacts society. I hope you all enjoy the film. Tonight we have a um, great opportunity to speak with a number of well-qualified folks from our community to talk about the issues that were raised in the film. I'd like to ask our panelists to step forward, please. I'm pleased to introduce you to first, Sadia Abdullah. She is the Director of, community Correction, of the Community Corrections Division at the King County Department of Adult and Juvenile Detention. She most recently served as the Director of Federal Reentry Operations at Pioneer Human Services here in Seattle. She previously served as a Policy Analyst at the Council of State Governments Justice Center in New York City. Next, we have Lynette Malo, who works for Pioneer Industries as a Boeing tactician and is attending classes after work to gain her journeyman card through the AJAC Apprenticeship Program as a sheet metal fabricator. Rona Taylor works for Columbia Legal Services as the institution's project directing attorney and currently heads the Washington State Reentry Task Force. Throughout her legal career, she has worked to increase access to justice for all, whether as a member of the institution's project or in her prior role as an assistant federal public defender in Michigan. Finally, Keith Whiteman. Keith was born and raised by a single mother in Tacoma. He struggled with addictions since youth. He was incarcerated at 18 and served 15 years in prison. He met Ari Cohn of the Post-Prison Education Project in 2008 and was introduced to the idea of getting an education. He received his AA degree at Washington State Penitentiary through the Walla Walla Community College. Currently, Keith is attending the Evergreen State College and working on the Post-Prison Education Program. Please help me in welcoming our panelists. We'd like to start by getting the panelists' reflections on the film we just watched. Uh, in the film, we see some real-life struggles of individuals leaving the prison system in Massachusetts. I'm curious how those experiences that were included in the film uh, represent your experiences here in our community. How do they reflect the challenges that our returning citizens face? What are some of the great challenges our community faces when it comes to support for people who are reentering? re-entering our community from jail, prisons, or other institutions. Some of our panelists, as, as I said, have themselves experienced incarceration and re-entry, and we'd love for them to speak about areas that they may have wished for more or different support from the community. I don't have any particular order. Anyone volunteer to kick us off? Yeah. If not, I'll pick someone. I'll kick it off. It was a really difficult film for me to watch because uh, I've experienced, I've walked through my life since 
you know, the age of 13 using drugs and alcohol with my, my own father before he passed when I was uh, at, at 13 years old. And um, the struggle that these guys, these guys, all of these guys faced are similar to my own. And um, that hopelessness, that fear, those struggles are real um, for guys like us. And um, unfortunately, I didn't meet a Louie until I met an Ari. And uh, unfortunately, for, you know, I, it took 34 years before I met Ari, but I met him. And uh, it's working. I got next month, I'll have five years clean and sober. And I have a life today. I'm a college student. I'm a father. I have a family. I have a wonderful girlfriend. I have a, a life. I have a job. And the, the, the hardest part was the end of that film where uh, you saw the reality of the situation of guys getting out. And that reality is out of five guys, one was sober, one was dead. The other three were back in prison or heading. So it was hard to watch. And speaking from the perspective of someone who works with individuals that are returning um, to our community, oftentimes we don't understand those nuances. We don't understand that this individual had a mother who sold drugs and a mother who was a drug addict and all of those things. What we see is you know, a sheet of paper in front of us that says you are reduced to B6937. You committed this particular act. Um, you did this thing while you were in prison. It never talks about uh, the struggles that you're going to face when you return home. It doesn't talk about the fact that you have a bunch of tattoos. So no one is going to really hire you um, in corporate America to sit behind a desk and make the kind of money that you're going to need in order to sustain a true lifestyle. And as you saw, most of them had four, five, six children. So what do I do? I, I do what many of them did, and I do what comes, what came natural, what came the easiest. And oftentimes, as those of us sitting on the other side of the desk, we don't recognize that, and we don't acknowledge it. And we say, what you should do is not get in trouble. And so I think what we have to do is those individuals that are working with men and women that are part of this criminal justice system is just take a second and ask the question, the same question that Diddy wanted to ask the person joining the gang, what do you need from me? Just take 30 seconds, what do you need from me? Yeah, I know you want to get a job and you want to do all that, but let's talk about right here, right now, today, what's going to keep you from thinking that you need to go out and get high or you, you know, this $7 an hour job or $15 an hour job is not going to sustain you. So what are we going to do? during that, that space where you're really trying to get something different. And so I would encourage those of us that work with men, these men and women is to just ask the question, what can I do for you today? So I feel so heavy, um, and I'm sure a lot of you do, that during that entire movie, I just felt like I was, like my stomach was sinking, sinking, sinking. Because despite uh, working with this com with the same community on a daily basis you're only getting a piece of the story and so one thing that just reminded me is I know most of you probably know Brian Stevenson and one thing that he said was that hopelessness is the enemy of justice 
And if you are hopeless, then, or if you're hopeless, um, something like if you're hopeless and you don't think you can change the world, then you become a part of the problem. And so I, I want to just start off there and just say, you know, I, I hope we don't, we're not hopeless. There's something that could be done. Um, what we saw in this movie are all of these collateral consequences that flow from entry into the criminal justice system. But we didn't see exactly what was happening prior to someone's um, introduction to the criminal justice system. So there are all these isms that could have um, affected their lives. There's also poverty. Um, there's classism. There's all these things that brought them into this criminal justice system. What we also heard over and over again is that a lot of them were, were introduced at a very young age. So juvenile justice reform is so important. Kids, once they go through this detention system, it's then a, a spiral that go, makes them go through system after system after system. But you know, in that movie, we were identifying housing issues, employment issues. Uh, we were identifying issues with respect to where a person is released. Um, in our state, you know, you go back to the place of last origin. So wherever that last um, conviction took place, that's where you actually have to go back to, which oftentimes isn't the place people need to go back to. We also saw, you know, drug issues and mental health treatment. And what we do see in especially with Columbia Legal Services, is that people are going in, most oftentimes they're having a mental health issue, but instead they're convicted for some type of crime. When they go into uh, the jail or prison, they're not getting the adequate medical and mental health treatment that they need to address their issues, and then they're released, and oftentimes their Medicaid is terminated, so then they have to go and try to figure out how to deal with their issues and get the medications or whatever it is that they need, and we don't have adequate reentry services. Um, we were talking earlier today, you know, in the federal system, people go through a halfway house for a significant amount of time. That doesn't happen in the state, and so there are a number of issues, and I can go on and on. Um, this, was, this was deep and really sad. Lynette, some initial comments? Like um, with the whole hopelessness feeling, me growing up, I grew up in a decent family. I had a good you know, life growing up. It was just personal issues later, self-esteem issues that got me into using drugs and stuff. It made me feel like I fit in a lot more. So coming out of um, incarceration, that support is a huge thing. I mean, that the way these guys really, like, they never gave up on them, that's the kind of people that I try and support myself or surround myself with now. But housing and a job is a major thing, being released. And like you were saying, with um, dealing with the problems, not just getting out and getting work, but some people, that's what they need. They need that accountability. And so to me, it's like that was the important thing for me coming out of prison. Any of the rest of you have thoughts about how you would envision a community support system that would keep our communities most vulnerable out of jails, prisons, and other institutions? I could see a, um, like a legion of former prisoners and uh, people that have been trained and educated in, in social work coming into the community and because 
quite frankly, talking heads don't get the job done, you know? And I don't know about everybody, but for me, I wasn't going to listen. I, I, I couldn't take you seriously if you, unless you've been through what I've been through. And I think that that's going to be the most influential force is going to be guys that been there, guys that done time, women that done time, and, and people who have done time going out into the community and positions becoming available for people in those situations that have been educated and that know now and that have some time under their belt, like Louie, there's going to be failures. There's going to be success, though. There's going to be success. And, and to be taken seriously by the majority of these people, you're going to have to understand what they've been through. And if you don't understand it, you're not going to solve You're not going to... You're, you're not going to actually solve anything. The people that, that have the problems or, or the individuals who are going to solve them, but that's, that's what I see. I see a, a workforce of, of people who've been there influencing the people who are fighting the fight. That's what I see. Lynette, does that ring true to you? Yeah, but you were talking about people that have been through the same thing, being in that to help other people. Yeah, because when like going through treatment facilities... This is just my own opinion. Um, when people become drug and alcohol counselors, it was a lot easier for me to relate to someone that's already been there than to somebody that's just came from school. I mean, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I know I can relate a lot better to someone that has been through what I've been through and to understand what I'm going through a lot better. How about from a system perspective, Rona and Sadia, thoughts about uh, how to structure a system? So I think when you talk about... Uh, community is most vulnerable. First of all, I think we have to become a community again. Um, you know, our teachers, our police, our doctors don't live in our communities anymore. And so what often happens is, you know, my window gets broken out. I call 911 and it was little Johnny down the street. And instead of just going to Johnny's mother and saying, hey, he broke my window. Can he, you know, mow my lawn for the next six months? He now gets arrested. He goes through the process. And so one, I think we've got to become a community again and, and, and figure out a way um, to, to really have those conversations. And so, for instance, uh, you know, in, in the South King County, you, in Federal Way, you have um, the Boys and Girls Club. Well, it's called the EX3, which is a teen center. And then you have the Federal Way Community Center. Now, the Federal Way Community Center is about $230 a month, right? So I, I got a pretty good job. I can go there and I can receive all the services they have, the, the workout, the, the pool, and things like that. But um, the vulnerable population is at the, the teen center because it's only $36 a month. And if you are poor or you can show that you're receiving any type of assistance, they'll waive your fee. Sometimes these are, these are not necessarily, these are kids that are, are not always the best looked after. And they do things like they see a pair of shoes and they steal shoes. So what the director and I have decided is we're not calling the police for a pair of stolen shoes. What we're going to do is look at the camera, see who it was. When they come back the next day, we're going to talk to them, and you're going to bring the shoes back to the dismay of a lot of people. But at some point, we've got to stop using the criminal justice system for community issues. Um, and until we do that, things aren't going to change. You know, having, 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 yeah, having a bunch of legion, I think I like that word, Having a legion of individuals that can go down and talk to people and say, hey, why are you here? Who know where the drug, uh, the drug usage is going on? You, you know, who can go down into some of these homeless encampments and, and feel comfortable enough to go and, and sit and shake hands and talk to people and just treat people like human beings and engage with them on one-on-one? -on -one? 
So Please. you talk about doing the, that, be a community, that's how we can change it. I don't think I can top that. I think that's, <laughs> I think she's absolutely right. And um, I would just add to all of the, all of that was shared that I think a way to kind of build a support system is identifying what we actually have and where are the gaps in services and where are the gaps in providers. I also think we have to be led by the community and, and, and I'm saying that those who have been formally justice involved make certain that they are a part of the discussions. A lot of times people say nothing without us and that's absolutely right. You know, we have here in our state now the Certificate for Restoration of Opportunity called, it's CROP. And one of the interns in our office is a woman who received the first CROP in the state, right? And we have her going out to the community, whether it's Pioneer Human Services or DOC or, you know, Olympia, wherever it is, and really talk to people you know, as someone who's formally justice involved. And her influence is magical because she's been there, she's done that, and she has a success story. And she still has struggles. She still goes through things on a daily basis, but she's fighting it every day and she's pushing hard. I also think that we need policy change. You know, when you're hearing about things that are happening in your local community, you know they say politics is local, arrests are local, you know, mass incarceration is local. All of that is local. Reform is local, and we can do it. We can make that change here in our community. And so I think we need to start looking at policy. We need to start determining, you know, wh why it is that people are having struggles and what we can do to change policy to, to help them. And then I, just with respect to policy, we have to remember that we have to push harder to make certain that the criminal justice system does not have a lifetime jurisdiction or a hold on people. And what I mean by that is they paid their dues. You say this is retribution. You deserve this amount of time for whatever, whatever crime you committed. Fine. This is a retribution you've decided that this person deserves. Then let them go. They shouldn't have these legal financial obligations that are not going to allow them to be employed or have housing. They shouldn't have all of these barriers after paying dues, paying the dues that they, that a court has decided is what's fair for their, for their activity. One of the many painful parts of the movie was the impacted children and families interested in the panel's thoughts about how we can best support the families of, of folks that are involved in the, just, in the criminal justice system. I think we have to remember reentry begins at arrest. Um, from the moment that person is arrested, their entire family begins to serve time with them. So if they have a wife, a girlfriend, children, and, and really think about what that looks like. And also think about that they're coming home. Right, 92% of all people's sentences are at some point in time going to come back to the community. We have a couple of choices. We can you know, kind of just let them come back, hope they figure it out, which is in many respects what we're doing now. Um, or we can begin to support them and their family so they have something to come back to. One, a couple of the young men in the, in the film talked about they went back to the exact same spot where they were arrested. They can, like, see, I was arrested right over there. I was shot right over there. 
there is a sense of figuring out a way to remove yourself. You go to prison and you, 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 I've served my time and I've tried to take these classes and I've done really great things, but I mean, how, how successful can I be if the same crack dealer is living across the street from me? And he knows what my addictions are, he knows what my weaknesses are, um, or, or I go back home. When I used to, as a parole officer, many moons ago, I would ask, we, all, we were taught to ask the family, can so-and-so come home? The answer is most of the time, yes, right? If your kid goes away, you want them to come home. I changed the question and I said, how long can he stay here without paying rent, without contributing financially, and I'm gonna need you to give him a bus pass to get back and forth to all these programs that don't have bus passes for him to get to? That's a different question. And I think we've got to start involving the family prior to release. Don't just send the person home and can they come here? What supports can you afford for them to be here? Are they going to be sleeping in the bed or are they going to be sleeping on the sofa? You know, are, are they only going to be here until the next family member gets out and then they get kicked out? Is this going to be a clean and sober house? Are you committed to not having alcohol and drugs in the house? Are you committed to these children that are going to be in the home? How, how are they going to re-engage with them? We, we, we remove individuals from the home and then they get out and we say, here you go, here your kid's back. I hadn't seen these kids in five years. I don't know how to engage. Very rarely do we actually incarcerate people near where they live. So now things have changed. I've had people get out of prison after 20 years, call me from the gas station crying. Mr. Dula, my car ran out of gas. I don't know where the gas tank is. Because when they went home, it was behind the license plate, you know, when they left. And now it's a little button in the car. And so we, we, so they can't work a car. How are they dealing with their children? How are they dealing with their wife, their girlfriend? Do they know how to have a relationship outside of the, an institutional relationship? So, you know, as soon as that person is arrested, that whole family needs some sort of support um, and some sort of treatment. Everything that person is getting inside, we need to be figuring out a way to offer it to that family and that community. Anyone else? I'll just say... When um, when I was listening, it just sounded like the family, there's so many burdens that are placed on the family. And I just, you know, with folks who are inside and who are confined and families are coming to visit, there are so many barriers to that. So there is a, there is a dismantling of the family. And I would go even further for families of color because oftentimes, or those who, have um, or if, uh, there could be a complexity here with respect to poverty. So, I, I, one, I think we have to have that programming for people who are left behind. We also have to stop these barriers with respect to them continuing to strengthen their relationship with their family member. That encourages people to be successful inside, because even inside, people have. I mean, depending on how they're classified, they may not have access to certain program. They may not have access to certain job opportunities. But if you have family that you're connected to, oftentimes that keeps you con- keeps you lifted. It, it it encourages that success that we need from people who are leaving. So, you know, there are barriers with respect to you know people have to pay a lot of money for video visitation. I mean, sometimes some jails will only allow you to do video visitation. How do they afford that when the when the family member who's inside is no longer there to provide them with that extra income, or you know. People have to, you know, pay money just for the call. You know, it's extremely expensive. So, I mean, those are some some 
We need support in that area, and that seems minor, but it's so real because it's day-to-day for families. We also need help, as, as shared before, with respect to when people are leaving and, and what type, you know, the services that people need to be able to, to support their family members because oftentimes, you know, it's beyond monetary. You know, there's a lot of trauma and, you know, mental health and other types of, of issues that are that make the issue more complex. Now, I think that we could carry on this conversation for another hour or two at least, but unfortunately, we only have about five minutes left. So I'd like each of you to briefly, if you can, think about um, the consequences to our community of not doing a better job of returning citizens. We don't find a better way to support successful reentry or any other final comment that, that you choose to make. I think I think I've, I'd like to say that um, yeah I've done 15 years but I've done it in six different sentences and when I got out and and I'm sure it's for the majority of guys when they get out they feel immense shame and guilt and um, some stuff I can't even put a name to and um, if you want to make a difference let somebody know whether it's your cousin or your uncle or your brother or whoever, I think everybody has one of those people in prison in their life. They know somebody in prison. Don't hide the love. Don't, don't be shy with, the, with the, the, the kind words. Let somebody know that you care, and, and it makes a huge difference. When, when I found out that somebody cared that didn't have to care, it changed my life. It changed my life. So if you got somebody in your life, you work somewhere with somebody, let them know. Give them a pat on the back. Say, I'm proud of you. Just do, I mean, it, it makes a difference. And, 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 it, and, and I think that sometimes that difference can be life or death. So if you have a chance, like, let it start with you. Let it start with us. And, and that's where it begins because people see that. And they go on and they do that, and then it changes. It starts to change, and, and that's, my, that's my final thing. Well said. If, if the question is about what are the consequences, the consequences are dire. Dead bodies in the street, more heroin overdose, um, less money for education, more money for prisons. Uh, I guess more people going to law school to defend or prosecute, and more judges. I, you know, it, I mean, that's, that's the reality. That, that's the consequence. And if, we're, if, we, if what we're saying is we're willing to lose the next several generations because we don't have the money to educate them, because that's, that's, those are the choices. We, we, can, we can figure out a, a remedy, or we can just make the decision that we're going to sit back and not do anything. Or, or, or worse, keep doing what we're doing. Uh, I, mean, there, there, I guess there is a worse. But if we don't start having real and honest conversations and... What we can do is everyone in this room, there's been a reentry center or a drug treatment center or a methadone clinic that someone has tried to build in your community. And you all, some, some people probably in this room have gone to community meetings and said, not in my backyard. So if the question is, what can you do? Let it come to your backyard. It's better for it to come to your backyard and you never need it than for you to need it and then not be there. Because if you think that your, your, your 12-year-old or your 13-year-old doesn't know what heroin is, uh, don't, doesn't know somebody, there's a 13-year-old girl in my son's class that's on an ankle monitor. 
So if we don't figure out a way out of this, we could not, we could not incarcerate our way out of the crack cocaine epidemic of the 80s, of the late 80s, early 90s. We will not incarcerate our way out of this heroin epidemic. So the consequences of not doing something, dead bodies in the street, less education and more prison. I agree with everything that's being said, and I just say um, one thing that we, I think would be a consequence is that continuous mass incarceration instead of mass employment, which is what we really want, um, because that's when people feel like they're able to be, you know, that um, to contribute to society in a way that empowers them and their families. I'll also say that, you know, as I said, um, hopelessness is an enemy um, of justice, so is apathy. So to sit here and watch this movie and not do something is not going to be okay. That's apathy. Don't just sit here. Talk about these issues at your dinner table with family members who don't think like you. You're here for a reason, so we're probably preaching to the choir, right? But talk to the people who don't think like you. You know, encourage them to think beyond themselves and to... um, you know, to look at everyone as a human being because we all make mistakes. Somebody just might not know about yours. But if we were to take some type of, you know, survey in here, I bet everybody here has jaywalked, right? Or committed some type of vehicular offense. You know, I mean, (laughs) sure many of us have, that ticket has run out when we parked. I mean, we, in all seriousness, you know, some people are caught and some people are not. Some people are over-policed and some people are not. So we need to remember that there's more that we can do than just watch this movie. We can make a change, and it starts with us and in this city of Seattle, because nationally, things might be crazy, but here, we can do something. We can do something right here. Um, From what I've seen in my personal experience with coming out of prison, um, I've got a lot of friends that have come out of prison, and their major barrier, like I said, was employment. I just wish there would be more companies and more opportunities for people with the past, instead of being judged by what they look like on paper, you know, for what what we want to do. I mean, I work with a bunch of people that I've—they work hard— they work really hard because we've been already to the bottom and we don't want to go back there. So it just makes us want to work that much more. So I just wish there was more opportunity for jobs. And housing. Um, housing. Our friends housing. at the library have said that we can, if, if you would all like, go a few more minutes. Are you willing to take a question or two from the audience? Absolutely. Any questions? Sir. So what the gentleman said is that we need to make certain that we help the children because children who have incarcerated parents oftentimes deal with, you know, pressures to either not do well or they're embarrassed. There's a lot going on. So you're right. Yeah, that children and families definitely need to be supported. I'm a, I'm a product of that. I, both of my parents were incarcerated. My brothers, I have a brother in prison for life now and a brother who's always been a drug dealer. But... I had support from family and friends and teachers. 
I also had this fire in me, you know, and there were things that could have happened to me, but it didn't. Um, I slipped through the cracks, but that's not every child. Some children are forced into foster care, and then that creates all of these other collateral consequences. So we do need to be more mindful, like you're saying, of all the things that happen to children and, and, be, and take accountability for that. You still probably could manage one more question if someone has a burning... Uh... Just so I can summarize for the microphone, the, the basic question was, how are we doing with programs like the Post-Prison Education Project, and are we making improvements in terms of the outcomes? We have an excellent success rate on the people that we are able to help, which is close to... Um, we actually get to financially help about 10% of the people that come to us for help, and we have a 92% success rate on helping guys stay out of prison. It's excellent, but the funding simply isn't there to help everybody, and it's heartbreaking. If the funding were there, I imagine that uh, it, w- it would be about the same in the, in the, in the low, low to mid 90%. And, and I think that's a direct result of the, of the mentorship that goes on. And I think you know exactly what I'm talking about, Franklin. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Great, <laughs> Great question, Franklin. <laughs> so um, we're going to conclude tonight. I hope you take a second to maybe chat with your neighbor and um, share some thoughts. Um, thanks for coming. Also, I want to thank Steve Mullen for his moderation, and a big thank you to our panelists, Sadia Lynette, Rona, and Keith. Thank you so much for your thoughts. Um, And before you go, can we just have a quick show? Did anybody learn anything tonight that you didn't know? Just maybe one thing, um, just so we know how effective this was. So, and like everybody said, I just want to encourage everybody to please try to help in your own way, whether you're telling the stories and share on the hashtags we put up on social media. Try to read some more about this material. You could read the new Jim Crow, Just Mercy, Orange is Not the New Black. We'll be showing the documentary the 13th here next month on April 13th. If you're interested in some of the agencies working locally, they have information on the front table. Help somebody, hire a person with criminal history, and have a good evening. <laughs> Thanks. This podcast was presented by the Seattle Public Library and Foundation and made possible by your contributions to the Seattle Public Library Foundation. Thanks for listening.